Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Welcome back to the second hour of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. I'm Chad Lachance. I'm filling in for Mr. Wickstrom while he's away and traveling, and we uh, always appreciate the opportunity to do so. I've uh, been doing so for like 12 years at this point. We have a great time with it. But another guy that's been a regular part of this program for a very long time here in Colorado, a good close friend of mine, Mr. Nathan Zlinski from Chiteline Outdoors. Good morning, Nathan. Come on, Chad. How are you doing today? Well, I'm in studio. I'm not outside, so I don't know how good that is, but I'm happy to be here. And, uh, you know, I was talking to some folks getting ready for this show, and I had a guy that told me that he was out catching walleyes from the shore right after I got a text from you saying you wanted to talk about catching walleyes <laughs> from the shore. So I think you might have a good topic to go today because that's one of the very common questions I get is, geez, I don't have a boat, but I'd like to catch walleyes. We're in the middle of winter in Colorado right now. I mean, it's early February, and yet there are shore fishing opportunities available for walleyes, and you're going to tell us about them. Absolutely. You know, it's kind of one of those awesome times. And honestly, as a, as an angler that, that chases walleyes on ice and open water, we're literally kind of at, a, at an awesome point of the year um, just because they both exist. I mean, right now, you know, the south end of Chatfield Reservoir, so say from like Eagle Cove or that south arm, you know, the buoy line back. Um, I mean, that has got great fishable ice right now. So we're on the ice. Um, the other day we had a 35-fish day in four hours um, catching walleyes through the ice, which is just, I mean, it's awesome. But then you go to the north half of the reservoir at, like, Chatfield right now, and all your points are open water. Your dam face is open water. Um, and the bite is absolutely awesome. Now, Cherry Creek, almost uh, 100% iced off the other day, so there's a ton of open water opportunities there. Uh, Pueblo Reservoir, I mean, you can go throughout the state and you can find a lot of open water opportunities. And, you know, it, it, the reason we want to talk about it is our spawn at our normal lakes. I don't want to say normal calling your lakes, and I say your lakes, you know, Carter, your northern Colorado, but a lot of the lakes that, that anglers are fishing, our spawn keeps getting earlier and earlier. And our pre-spawn bite at, at like a Chatfield or Cherry Creek, it's literally starting almost at the end of January, if not for sure early February. And right now we have walleyes, especially in the Denver Metro, um, in shallow water, in full-blown pre-spawn. Um, I mean, they're aggressive. They're, I don't want to say they're easy to catch, but they're, they're very approachable to angling. Um, and the bite's awesome. And that, that open water bite is happening right now in those pre-spawn fish. And so many times in Colorado, we have a lake 100% capped. And by this time of year, the ice starts going bad. And so many times we miss the pre-spawn bite because it's not quite open water. It's not quite safe enough to ice fish. And we kind of miss this window as where right now you have ice fishing opportunities and open water opportunities for pre-spawn fish. And, and the fish are aggressive. And we're catching a lot of good quality fish from shore right now. Well, uh, yeah, I don't think anyone thinks of open water walleye fishing in February in Colorado realistically. <laughs> but as a guy that's not really a big ice fan, uh, that's fine with me. I have no problem with that. Uh, now, techniques-wise, I, I have not been out chasing walleyes. I'll just be dead candid. I have not been out chasing walleyes in open water yet. My presumption is I'm going to have to fish relatively slow. But when you're saying pre-spawn, the first thing I start thinking about is hanging a jerkbait in their face. But I'm guessing you're probably going to jig them a little bit real tight to the bottom. 
you know, we're, we're doing both opportunities, honestly. So it's cool because, you know, if you come, as we fast forward, say, two weeks, um, we're pretty much going to exclusively have a jerkbait low-light window bite. So, you know, as we approach later February, it's all jerkbait. It's night fishing. It's a super low-light, and the daytime activity really fades off as we approach the spawn, um, which, again, like I said, it's earlier and earlier. It used to be so heavy in March and April, and these windows just keep coming earlier and earlier as you glitch ice off, oxygen booms, water temperatures go, our moon phases are right. Um, but with that being said, right now as it's still early it's still very heavy pre-spawn. We're doing jerk baits in low light periods of the day, and then we're throwing jigs uh, during the daytime. So if you're going to go to shore fishing right now, um, we're looking at walls. So you're looking at steeper shoreline where those walleyes can push that bait up against that wall, and that's that low light period. So early, late in the day, steep walls is where those walleyes are approaching bait fish, and that's your jerk bait window. The biggest thing with the jerk baits is the combination, which is kind of crazy, of aggressive and very subtle. So with that being said, when we're doing our twitches or the, the jerking motion of our jerk bait, we're actually doing it pretty aggressive to create a lot of noise, a lot of flash, and really hit the, the notes of the pre-spawn aggression of a walleye. But after you do that heavier cadence for a second, you're then going to add the really long pauses. You know, those three to five second pauses, let those fish come up, let that, those fish approach that bait. So it's kind of a combination of, a, of an aggressive stroke and then that long pause after. And that's the key to fishing those jerk baits right now. And then as you get into the daytime period, so you're going to go out there right now, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning, you're going to look more for structure. So you're looking where a point extrudes out into the lake or where you can cast and approach some sort of structure. So grab a topographical map, uh, figure out where you have some contour changes, and you're casting jigs. Now, with that being said, literally, usually it would be a, a reaction bait, a jigging wrap, a blade bait. But now we're even throwing swim baits as these fish are so evolved in that pre-spawn bite. So really, jigging styles and cadences and even styles of jigs are really wide open right now. Everything from blade baits to again, the swimming baits like a jigging wrap, um, you know, the smaller, you know, profiled uh, swim baits, like a three and a half inch paddle tail uh, is doing very well. So daytime, it's about the jig, low light period. It's all about the cadence of that jerk. Well, I'll clarify a couple of those things because I'm in agreement across the board on that whole last spiel on the baits. Uh, first of all, I've said for a million years, as a, as a jerk bait junkie, it's the jerks that get their attention, but it's the vulnerability or the sudden stop, the just hanging there in the water column that makes them, you know, the proverbial sitting duck. And uh, and anytime any species of fish, and and this same thing would work right now for for smallmouth, up against a steep bank in cold water and a bait that just hangs there after getting their attention, where they can come up and look at it, and you'll see their fins get going. If you could see them, you'd literally watch their fins get going. Oh, yeah. uh, they get all excited, and boop, and they'll give it a kiss, and you'll get them. You are not going to feel a big, giant bite. You'll feel a tick, but that's about it. Or they'll just be on it when you go to pull it because it's hanging there. They look at it. You jerk it. They grab it as soon as you move it. So that's a key thing. Now, uh, for me, that little swim bait, let it go all the way to the bottom, put it on jig head, let it go to the bottom, and wind it just fast enough to keep it moving above the bottom. Is that what you're doing with that? You know, I'm actually making bottom contact. So the, the biggest thing I said that we're doing different than – the normal cadence. A lot of times I put a major focus on long cast, especially when I'm on shore, um, just to like cover more water. So we're just in a really heavy jig at three eighths, even half ounce, so we can farm it out there and get to all the structure points from shore. Um, and we're swimming the bait roughly about three feet. 
So you're holding the bait, you know, six to ten inches off bottom, and you swim the bait three feet vertically, or, or I should say horizontally towards you, then make that bottom contact. Know that you're on that bottom. Right. You lift it up, swim it about three feet, and make that contact. The contact's doing two things. Number one, it's just keeping you in that strike zone. Right. So many times from shore, we don't have our graphs in front of us. We have a hard time understanding the, you know, what contours are actually fishing. So we're keeping the bait low and making contact to make sure we're in that strike zone. And then the other big thing, every so often being talking reaction, just to settle down and that pop back up is just enough what it takes. If that bait hits the bottom, the fish kind of key in on it. They're like, hey, what is that? It only happens for a second. But gets the curiosity of why it laid down. The second it pops back up, gets that curiosity, gets that chase, that hunting instinct. Um, and those fish want to chase it down and, and get after it. So we got to make a little more contact just to keep them in the zone and keep that, that strike you know opportunity up. Um, but the biggest thing I'd say that we're doing is we're fishing really heavy baits just to, again, cover water and approach so much structure. Well, and it's also easier to keep the heavy bait on that on in that strike zone. The, the heavier a jig is, the easier it is, obviously, to keep it near the bottom. And bottom control or depth control, I should say, is muy importante in any kind of fishing. And when you're from the bank, that's a little can be a little tougher to deal with. So for sure, the heavier jig, feeling that thing hit the bottom and knowing. And I can tell you as a guide, and you'll probably agree with this, I'll tell guys in my boat, you know, keep your jig. We need your jig on or near the bottom the whole time. And and invariably throughout the course of the day, there'll be 50 times with most people where I got to be like, hey, let the jig back down because they, <laughs> they keep picking it up. Now, it's a little easier to keep the jig on the bottom from the bank because you're working up the hill as opposed to being in a boat. But, um, you know, that can be really, really important, guys, is to keep your keep your bottom contact to keep idea of where your jig is all the time. And I find that's kind of day one stuff. Now, when they're grabbing, when you're working that jig, are you doing any snap jigging? Like for me, you know me, I'm addicted to little gold minnow and snap jigging that little guy. Are you doing some snapping as well, or you're keeping it a little tighter than I that? wouldn't say a snap. I mean, we're doing a little bit more aggressive than a lift, but I wouldn't say we're quite snapping it. Gotcha. Uh, so it's more of like, you know, a slight pop-off bottom, slip it a couple of feet, and then let it sit down. And we let it sit down. We still have a tight line in the fall, but we're letting it hit fairly hard just to make a little bit of a noise just so they can hear that. Sure. Uh, so and the heavier really jig had to help with that, too. Exactly. So a little more aggressive than, than uh, a lift, but not quite a full-blown snap. Again, it's trying to find that fine line of aggressive with pre-spawn, but yet still cold water, still, uh, you know, I don't want to say lethargic, but, but, you know, keeping an eye on everything to kind of cater those fish the best you can. And then biggest thing with the jerkbait, um, I think a lot of guys, I don't want to say fish small because your traditional four-inch four jerkbaits are catching fish right now. But we're even upwards of some of that bigger stuff. This is the last, say, week and a half of, of the spring where these fish are going to feed on big, aggressive bait as they're preparing for spawn. Then we go through the spawning cycle where everything tones down a little bit. So right now, if you get that right fish, that more mature female, they're looking for a meal. So like right now, like an elite 10 rogue, where you're fishing a, a full, you know, six to seven inch dirt bait, um, it's pretty pretty impressive the, the quality of fish you're catching. I think so many guys are used to fishing smaller dirt baits and they get it in their head because we do that so much throughout the course of the year. As we're right now, again, it's a small window each year where we get these pre spawn fish, but you can really up the size of that dirt bait, which gives you more control um, and it can create some bigger bites for you at the end of the day. So well, I think and, upsizing and, and, that dirt bait big um, and it gives you also that control to keep that tight line because, like you said the bites can be very yeah, they're, light they're so, so you know, it's kind of ironic because we're fishing for the biggest fish of the year right now and the bites are very subtle so nate we ran out of time once again you always have great information tightlineoutdoors.com guys want to get a hold of you 
There you go. Nathan Zelinsky, guys, one of our favorites here on The Fan. And uh, and with that, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. All right. Welcome back to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. I'm Chad Lachance filling in for Terry Wickstrom while he's off and traveling. Speaking of traveling, we our next guest is a guy that knows a whole bunch about traveling because he's a world-class angler member of the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, and also a fellow television host like myself, the host of Lake Commandos on Sportsman's Channel. Good morning, Mr. Stephen Panaz. Hey, Chad. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? And uh, how's Minnesota this morning? You know, uh, it's a beautiful, clear, cold morning. It'd be a perfect time to be on the ice. I'm looking out at the fish houses right now going, uh, I'm going to head out to one of them in a little bit. Uh, that's a, that's a good call. I'm not even a huge ice fisherman, but a Minnesota ice hound sounds, uh, sounds pretty good to me. I've heard all the stories and, uh, my next trip to Minnesota, I need to maybe try that. But, uh, but before we get going here, I want to point out, I was a guest on your show on Lake Commandos. Has that aired yet? Are we allowed to tell people what happened? No, you're not allowed to tell people what happened because you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All well, I can the... say, Chad, is I was impressed that you came in, uh, you kicked butt, and you had a, uh, you put some big fish in the boat. But it was a fun day, and what what I was proud of is we were on a very tough lake with under tough conditions with the cold front coming through. But it just kind of proves that when you put to work in, make good decisions on the water, you're going to catch fish no matter what the conditions are. Absolutely. And I also throw out there that you are also a guest on Fishful Thinker. We kind of did a reciprocal thing there uh, in Minnesota. It was my first trip. We did a, a Fishful Thinker show. That'll be airing this coming week as well. And uh, and so we appreciated that very much. But the key thing, both of our shows, is about A, multi-species, and B, yep. uh, education. Um and that's really important. It's a key thing, I feel like, in, in our industry that we educate people. That's where we bring value. I think both of us, uh, that's our goal is to educate people. And as a guy that's a member of the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, uh, was a- affiliated with the North American Fishing Club many years ago. Folks may be familiar with that. Um, you travel and fish a lot. And so I kind of want to talk to you a little bit about basically universal angling lessons you know what are kind of some key things as a guy that fishes walleyes one day and a smallmouth the next day and 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 maybe bluegill the next day there's always some key information that carries through from one thing to the other a good example for me is fishing uh edges or transitions right where it was simple things so when i was on your show in lake commando the the first question you asked me is what do you think and the first thing i was looking at was all the hard edges on the lake and uh, and we weren't yep. on the water yet. We were standing on the dock. But it was a key thing. It wouldn't matter what we were fishing for. I would have looked at those edges. Do you agree with me that there's standardization amongst all the different fish? There's some key aspects that that uh, anglers can can master and be better at by being multi-species anglers. I think what happens. Uh, one of the things I've found in Lake Commandos is that we hit bodies of water either that we've never been on before or we haven't fished in many many years and. And, and when you approach a body of water with a fresh perspective where you're really not bound by memories, hey, last time I hear I fished here and I caught these, you end up making broader decisions and then narrow down much quickly, uh, much more quickly. And one of the things that I use right away is seasonality. Uh, you know, early in the spring, they're going to be up in the warmest water, shallow water, that sort of thing. Later in the year, and you're, you're dead on on edges, what I've found is that we fish a variety of water clarity the body of water you and I were on had about, what, six, eight inches of water clarity. And 
we found all of our fish shallow, in fact, extremely shallow. Yeah, very shallow. Whereas uh, if you look at the deep weed edge, it's, it's limited by the light penetration. But if you're in a clear body of water, that edge might be out in 25, 28 feet of water. And so that's another one that I really use a lot is, is the water clarity. Well, yeah, and and when we fished, we, we filmed your show, and then we went to a completely different lake and filmed Fishful Thinker. Uh, there we ran into clearer water, and we started fishing the outside edges, and we caught a bunch of fat, a bunch of fish doing that. So, um, you know, any different body of water uh, can be different at any given time, but the concepts are the same as far as what you're looking for. When I'm fishing, you know, really stained water, I'm going to fish bigger and brighter baits potentially, maybe more signature profile. If I'm in really clear water, I might fish something that's faster or shinier, uh, give them less time to look at it, you know, uh, things like that, but some some standardization as far as that goes. Um, let me ask you this, and this is a big one, because on my show, we don't ever fish bait, and I haven't seen you guys fish a lot of bait on your show. I'm an artificial guy. I'm a gulp and power bait junkie. Everybody knows that. For 20 years, I've been doing that. Um I feel like I can cover more water and learn more about a fishery in a hurry with artificials than I can with live bait. You agree with me on that? I agree. I, I did a show with John Hoyer this year who just won uh, two out of four of the national wild tournament, uh, walleye tournaments this year. We did a live bait versus plastic show on Minnesota's leech Lake, which is a very famous walleye fishery. And we were up in some shallow flats, nine to 11 feet. And we found a, a lot of fish that were scattered over the whole flat and, my pattern was actually live bait to see how we could do on that. And we caught two in the first two hours. We switched over to John's soft plastics. And, and what the soft plastics allowed us to do was to fish faster, right. fish a lot more, uh, you know, water, present the baits to more fish. As it turned out, we caught eight walleyes on the plastic and we caught two on live bait. And it's just an indication that plastics have a place in fishing, and artificials have a place in fishing, and at times they're actually a lot more effective than live bait. Not, not having said all the time, right. but uh, they really are uh, deadly baits. I think so, too, and, and the, the gentleman that owns this here radio show that I'm guest hosting right now, Terry Wickstrom, had a similar experience where he went and fished with a guy, uh, live bait versus, uh, versus gulp, and had the same thing. They put the numbers in the boat with the gulp for the same reasons. You can cover more water, you can fish more efficiently, and, uh, and that can be a really important thing. Um, we're going to run out of time here pretty quick. As you know, time goes fast on the radio. If a guy wants to see your show, where's his best place to do it? Well, there's two places. Our, our, uh, current shows are up on Lake, uh, up on, um, sportsman's channel. They air five times a week. Our, our best airing is on Sunday mornings at eight thirty mountain time. You get a chance. There's also all, all our past issue or episodes are actually up in, uh, my outdoor and that's another place to look at it. And I encourage everybody to join us on Facebook, on uh, you know Lake Commando's Facebook page as well. Absolutely. And I'm looking right now at your website. You've got a very thorough website as well. Lots of information on there. And that's lakecommandos.com. So, guys, check out Steve Panaz's stuff. I'm really hoping to get out there and fish with you again this year if you'll have me. Oh, absolutely. It was a fun day. And uh, look forward to a couple more. All right. That's good. Well, I appreciate Steve. Thanks for taking time out of your Saturday morning to get out and hit the ice hut. All right. See you, Chad. All right. Thanks. That's Steve Panaz. And, you know, it's a guy I've known for years, finally got a chance to fish with him, and uh, just a fantastic guy all the way around. Nice guy, extremely knowledgeable. Um, yeah, if, if I get a chance to fish with Steve again, I'll do so as fast as possible. We've got to take a quick break. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. 
right, welcome back to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. I'm Chad Lachance filling in for Terry Wickstrom. And if you're a regular listener of this show, you'll know it's time for the Colorado Clays segment. This segment brought to you by Colorado Clays Shooting Park. And uh, as a guy that loves to shoot all kinds of stuff, I love to talk shooting. And there's a gentleman on the phone, Mr. J.R. Pierce, who uh, loves to talk shooting even more than me. Good morning, J.R. Hey, good morning, Chad. Good to talk to you again, man. Yes, sir. It's been a while, like, I don't know, 12 hours since we yep. talked. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, we talked a little bit yesterday on the phone, and I'm a giant believer that success starts with preparation. And, uh, you know, it, it's more important to prepare to win, right? And one of the most important things I think people slack about is their shooting skills. I was on the phone earlier here, doing an interview earlier here with a guy who's a professional big game hunter, and he's talking about people showing up that can't make the shot. You know, you go on this guided trip, you spend all the money, they can't make the shot. There is no excuse for that. If you live anywhere near here, you can get out and practice. And I suppose the next most relevant season that's coming up is turkey season. Now, it's, it's impossible to miss a turkey standing in front of you, right? Absolutely. And you know, Chad, I think the first thing I think is important for me to let everyone know is that, uh, you know, for nearly 24 years now, Colorado Clays has been serving Colorado as the premier public shooting facility featuring, of course, the very finest in rifle, pistol, trap, skeet, wobble trap, and sporting clays. Uh, We do this year round with no memberships or reservations required. And uh, of course, we welcome everyone to come out and join us for all their shooting needs. But, you know, going back to the um, what you're touching on there, Chad, you know, a person can really save yourself uh, some of the last-minute preparations uh, by coming to Colorado Clays during the off-season and enjoying not only the best recreational public shooting facility around, but also keep the those, you know, shooting skills and equipment in top condition year-round. So if we go back to, say, August, you know, getting ready for that dove season, uh, of course, the first thing I try to do every year is get Terry Wickstrom practiced up enough for his first hunt. Um, that can be a chore. But, <laughs> <laughs> we love you, but, Terry. Uh, but, you know, all joking aside, Chad, um, whether it's, the, you know, the dove, then we have the duck and goose coming in, the upland seasons. And uh, <clears throat> the great thing about Colorado Clays is we have ranges and fields or really even particular stations or machines throwing targets that will be perfect practice for a person and the game he or she is hunting. And, of course, hands down, the most popular practice destination is the Colorado Clay Sporting Clays course. And that is due to the fact that um, we have the most incredible variety of target presentations throughout the course, which offer you shots of different speeds, angles, and distances for the ultimate bird hunting preparation. And now, if you're wanting to prep specifically for those upland bird hunts, the Colorado Clays wobble trap overlaid on our skeet fields are uh, ground launch, multiple angle, and elevation target presentation. It can be thrown basically from point-blank range out to 30 yards, and that's really for the ultimate upland game preparation. And, you know, of course, mixed in there, uh, we had those big game seasons, and you know, Chad, we prepared thousands of big game hunters, um, uh, you know, throughout our state with the state-of-the-art video viewing um, system on our 50 and 100-yard rifle range. And, of course, many of those folks made sure they were also proficient with their 
sidearms as well while they were here. Uh, and, you know, they spent some time on that 25-yard target return style pistol range too. But, Chad, I think more than just the target practice itself, uh, preparing for seasons at Colorado Clays assures that um, your equipment is clean and functioning, that you have the accessories you need with your firearm, for example, tools, if you had to do a repair or adjustment in the field. Um, you know, you get familiar with the gun, its function. Um, you get to practice those good fundamentals and form uh, before that first shot in the field. Um, find most accurate loads. I mean, the list goes on and on, but I think probably the most valuable asset you'll take away from your visit out here at Colorado Clays is the confidence and the knowledge that you are as prepared as you can be um, for your first day in the field. Well, confidence catches fish is one of my favorite sayings, and also get stuff on your dinner plate, uh, no doubt about that. And I, you, you, I have had twice in my hunting career, which goes all the way back to when I was a wee little kid, and I'm old, uh, I've had two firearm failures, both of which were easily preventable by uh, a little bit more time on the range. So I've learned the hard way. And when you, when you go out in the field and all of a sudden your gun doesn't hit anything and you can't figure out why – and you're four hours from home when you're carrying a premium big game tag, uh, that would have been a nice thing to know just before season. It worked fine in August. It didn't work when I got out in the field, and in between there I hadn't shot it well. It's a long story, but uh, bottom line is the touch-up right before season is important. The other one was was extremely preventable, and it was a shotgun that didn't like cold weather and uh, didn't want to cycle correctly in the cold, but worked fine. Otherwise, had I been out there ahead of time, I'd have been uh, been ahead of the curve. So, yeah, firearms failures do happen. Invariably, they happen at a, a, a poor time, like in a duck blind or when you're carrying a deer tag. But let's talk – the next season coming up is turkey. And the one thing different about turkey shotgunning than all the rest of the shotgunning uh, is the fact that a turkey is going to be standing still or maybe walking. But either way, you're shooting at a bird that's on the ground that's right in front of you. And you're shooting him probably with the most powerful load you're ever going to shoot out of your shotgun and quite possibly with the tightest choke you're ever going to shoot out of your shotgun as well. And I know several people that have missed turkeys standing right smack in front of them at point blank range with a 12-gauge shotgun because they didn't understand their pattern or how their stuff flew. You guys, I can come there and pattern my, say, my 12-gauge with a, with a magnum turkey load, see how it hits, how tight my pattern is, maybe if I need to change ammo, things like that. Did I do all that so, at Colorado Chad, I, I lost you there in your question. What was that last one? Well, if I want to pattern my turkey shotgun, can I come out to your place right now and shoot my turkey shotgun? Okay. Well, and Ian, thanks for bringing up that, Chad, because this is a tool we have available not just for turkey that is really good for any shotgunning, and, and that is our uh, shotgun patterning area. And this is very simply... Uh, an area you can shoot a shotgun from 20 to 50 yards. Um, you will get a 42 by 42 inch um, sheet of cardboard with an aiming point. And what this does is confirm that the first thing everybody needs to know, and that is that your gun is shooting where you are pointing, aiming, looking, etc. And this is valuable for any gun, and particularly a new gun. Uh, a lot of folks come out here with you know, a new gun, and they tell me, I took this thing goose hunting, and I couldn't hit anything. We go pattern it, and it turns out it's shooting 100% high of where they're aiming. 
A lot of these new guns are very adjustable with the shims and stuff that come with them, so there's no reason not to dial that in. Uh, but specifically to turkey hunting, this is a very, very important aspect of that um, outdoor hunt because it is so important that you know your gun's uh, limitations and, uh, and that you have a pattern that is not only uh, tight enough for the range you're going to be shooting, but that your uh, pattern has good distribution of the pellets throughout and that you have enough pellets uh, in the kill zone where you're aiming. So uh, this is going to be coming up. We're going to be doing a bunch more research, and I welcome a, you know anybody to come out and take advantage of that. It's only $10, and what you gain from just a short time on that is priceless in the field. Oh, yeah, no question about that. And a turkey, you think, well, how hard is it? He's going to be standing right in front of me. But if you haven't shot at him, uh, it can be surprisingly. And the other thing about it is get used to what your turkey load is going to do because if you're not, if you're used to shooting doves and pheasants and things like that, and then you stuff a turkey load in your shotgun with a real tight tube, it's going to thump you. And people don't realize how much difference. I certainly didn't when I started shooting turkeys, how much different the gun feels to shoot, period. Uh, should you need a follow-up shot, uh, that would be a key thing as well. And plus the the, diff- the loads are so much more sh- powerful that I think it's uh, definitely something that needs to be needs to be checked and verified. And you're going to be aiming the gun more than you would be swinging and just establishing a sight picture. You're going to be aiming at a small target standing in front of you. And uh, it's just a different feel all the way around. So if a guy wants to get the the best out of his shotgun, he needs to come out there and, and shoot it and, uh, and make sure that the pattern is how he needs it to be. What about this? Uh, we we got about a, a little less than a minute left. If, if a guy's got a gun that isn't shooting well, uh, can he come out there and help and get some help with you guys on that? Some instruction? Okay, Chad, the last one again, you're cutting out on me. Oh, can a guy get, can a guy come and get some instruction from you guys on some shooting help if he needs? Well, certainly, uh, Chad, and I've said this over and over, we do have the best staff in the industry, um, and we're always here. But if you want a little bit of individual instruction and some tips based on lifetimes of shooting experience, certainly give me a call, and we will schedule some time whenever it works for you and us and get you some good fundamental stuff. We can help you with that gun patterning and give you the confidence and the proper form and fit on your gun to make sure that everything is 100% when you get that chance of a lifetime. Well, that's a great, great uh, resource out there for folks. And uh, if a guy wants to get more information on Colorado Clays, uh, coloradoclays.com or where are you guys located? Uh, certainly coloradoclays.com in Chad B, you know, Take the virtual tour if you want to see what our facility is all about. Give us a call at 303-659-7117. Talk to anybody, and we'll get you going in the right direction. And then we're just a short drive from anywhere in the metro area and really even the front range, uh, just just north of DIA and east of Brighton, uh, a mere 25 minutes from downtown. So um, just no excuse not to be ready, Chad, and we look forward to seeing everyone. Oh, well, there you go. Well, that, uh, I know those guys love to, to live the lifestyle. So, Jr., I appreciate you taking the time to call in uh, and Colorado Clays for sponsoring this segment. Thank you, Chad. Have a great day. You have a good day as well. That's J.R. Pierce, the guy that also loves to fish as much as he likes to hunt. And we spent an hour on the phone talking long-range ballistics the other day. Good guy. So, guys, we're going to step aside, take a quick break. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. 
All right, welcome back to the final segment of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. I'm Chad Lachance, and I've been filling in for Terry for the last couple hours. And as our show winds down, I want to reserve a little bit of time uh, to talk about some of the things that is very, very, uh, oh, let's say, important to me in my career right now at this this time of uh, this time of the year. So I am the host of Fishful Thinker Television. And we travel around and fish all over the place. I'm also a fishing guide, so I spend a lot of time in the boat doing that. And I just happen to like to fish in general. So we've been talking so much during this show about preparation, spring preparation, things like that, Um, things getting started. But really for me, this time of year, I think the universal truth that happens every year is when I'm not in the field at this time of year is when I'm doing all of my preparation for spring fishing here in Colorado. So you heard earlier in the show that that Nate's out catching walleyes uh, in open water. That's an opportunity for us. Uh, the season, my point being is the season's going to come up quicker than we think. And invariably, uh, I get people that are like, oh, it's finally warm, and they're just starting to get their gear out and ready. My opinion is this. Preparation is paramount. If you really want to have a good, strong fishing season, get it off to a good start. And if you wait until, geez, it's, it's March at this point, it's starting to get nice and warm out, and then you're out for the first time peeling the cover off the boat or dusting off the tackle, you might miss those first couple of days instead of getting your tackle ready ahead of time. So a couple of the key things that I'll do at this time of year is we'll start looking hard at uh, things like fishing line, uh, how much lines on my reels, what line needs to be replaced, how much of it do I need, uh, and then I can source it and spool it during a nice cold February evening instead of dealing with it when it's March and nice and I should be fishing. So things like fishing line. Another really important thing that I keep in mind right now is also a consumable in fishing is things like hooks and jig heads. The stuff that you go through lots of. If you're a fly fisherman, you know, I might go through a, a particular nymph that I'm going to go through a jillion of. Fly guys are generally pretty good about tying flies in the winter. But if you're not tying them, now's the time to start getting those fly boxes squared away, ready to go, so that when season comes, you can hit the water right off the bat. I think it's really important to keep that in mind. Another important thing that I think uh, needs to go on right now is if you're looking at any real travel, and this kind of goes back to when we were talking about Michael Deming from Sportsman's News, if you're looking at travel this year for fishing, whether it be a vacation or an actual fishing trip, something like that, now is for sure the time to be setting those arrangements up. So we film 26 TV shows a year. That's a lot of travel of getting around. Some A lot of them are in Colorado, but a lot of them are not. And now is when we want to be setting up all that travel. Now is when we want to be figuring out where we're going, where we're staying, how we're going to get there, and timing those trips. Now, here's a little secret that most people don't know about Fishful Thinker Television. We film 26 shows a year. That happens to be pretty close to the number 24. The number 24, or even 25, is how many full and dark moons there are combined over the course of the year. Almost all episodes of Fishful Thinker are filmed on either a full moon or a dark moon. So it depends on uh, what we're, what species we're looking for and things like that. But if you're planning travel and all other things are equal, then no problem. Then you have, uh, you know, a very easy way to schedule is to do so by, you know, getting the full moon or the dark moon. So if I'm fishing around spawn phase fish, something like that, maybe a spring trip, 
then I'm always looking at the full moon. That's going to pull a bunch of fish in, things like that. If I'm looking at just a standard fishing trip, summertime fishing trip, and I'm really looking at something like that, then uh, then I'm probably going to look at dark moons because what I don't want is fish that are heavily feeding in the middle of June and they're feeding all night on a full moon when I want to be out there fishing on uh, in the daylight. So the timing of your trip can be important, and the farther in advance you plan that trip, the better shot you're going to have to have that. Another thing is, let's say you're going to Florida, my, my home state, or, or Texas, or someplace where you're going to be fishing coastal waters. If you fish around the moon phases and you plan your trips around the moon phases, you have your best shot at catching desirable tides. And anybody that fishes very much around tidal water knows that when you have a really poor tide cycle, the fishing's tough. I don't care who you are. It's very tough. So if if the fishing, if you plan it for a good tidal phase, which coincides, the tides are affected by the moon, so it coincides with the moon phase. If you coincide your trips, let's say I'm going to go to Florida for a week and I'm not sure when I'm going to go, plan it around a good moon phase because you're going to get a good tide phase and then you're going to get fish that are happy and they want to play your fishing game. So that can be really important as well. Another key thing, if you're planning a trip somewhere, even if it's just to a Colorado fishery, you know, two hours from your house, but you're still trying to figure out when you want to get off work or when you want to go, here's another really big thing that will help you with that is to really look hard at the shad spawn. Do some research. Figure out when the the gizzard shad are going to spawn. When the gizzard shad spawns, typically going to be sometime in May or June here in Colorado, uh, typically May, when you look at Kansas, Nebraska type fisheries, could be a little bit later on the uh, west of us. But if you show up and fish during the shad spawn, you're going to have a good opportunity at catching lots of fish. So if anyone's out there watching any of the Fishful Thinker episodes, uh, lots of them are on our YouTube channel now at Fishful Thinker. Uh, of course, we're on World Fishing Network and Alt- uh, Altitude Sports as well. A lot of our episodes in Kansas and Nebraska are timed around the shad spawn, and we do that because it's our best chance at showing up, catching fish in one short period of time, typically six hours or less, and going home. Well, if I'm if I'm Joe Weekend Angler and I'm going to get to plan a trip and I'm only going to have two days over a weekend to fish, it sure would be nice to show up when the shad are spawning and therefore every wiper, walleye, bass, crappie, and everybody else are on the, the areas where the shad will spawn because then I know where my fish are and they're much easier to catch. So the timing of your trips can be really important. And the farther in advance that you do that, the better off you're, you are. And it doesn't matter for us what species we're going to catch. We always want to try to time it around some phase that's really good for us. The weather's kind of the micro timing, but we can't plan that a long time in advance, but we can plan to be there on a good moon phase or a good, uh, maybe a, a bait fish spawn, a known bait fish spawn of some sort or something like that. So the combination of making sure that your consumables, your jig heads and your hooks and your line and everything is ready to go Maybe now's the time you take your lures out. You know, those early spring jerkbaits. Nate was talking about jerkbait and walleyes. I'll pull the whole box of Berkeley cutters out, check all the hooks, check all the split rings. Same thing with my cold water crankbaits, anything like that. Make sure that they are up to speed so that when, again, that early season comes, you're ready to go. And the other thing that's so important is typically the first couple of trips of the year, you know, when you're talking about bass or walleyes, 
are those pre-spawn fish, and you have your best shot at catching some of your biggest fish of the year in the early, early season. And so that early season is is when you need to be as sharp as you can be. Your skills are probably going to be a little bit rusty, let's just say, because we haven't been doing open water fishing all winter. But that doesn't mean your equipment should be rusty. So take care of your equipment now, and you're going to be uh, – be happy you did so. That's a really critical thing for uh, for us at Fishful Tanker and just me as an angler in general. Tournament guys, same thing. Get your hotels now once the schedules are out. You know, you club tournament guys, whatever. Get your hotels, get your travel planned, uh, get all that stuff taken care of. So that's my two cents worth here in February. I'll spend basically the next month uh, getting all of that stuff taken care of and making sure that uh, we're ready to go in, in and amongst our trips in the field this time of year. So I want to say thank you very much to the Wickstroms, Terry and Karen, for letting us take over this radio station. Uh, We've had a great time for the last two hours. And uh, I also want to mention that uh, if you'd like to catch catch up with more of the stuff on Fishful Thinker, you can do that at Fishful Thinker on uh, either at at Facebook or on Instagram. Uh, Also, FishfulThinker.com, you can book a guide trip with myself or Dan Swanson or Ronnie Castiglione. Uh, if you want to book a guided trip at one of the Northern Colorado Fisheries, Horsetooth or Boyd, you can do that uh, at fishfulthinker.com. And so um, we would love you to do that. And then most importantly these days, guys, we are putting lots and lots and lots of content on the Fishful Thinker YouTube channel. So uh, check that out. We'd appreciate that very much. And punch the subscribe button with while you're there. So thanks very much for listening, guys. We've had a great time this morning on a beautiful Colorado morning here in February. And this has been Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. I had to-